A farmer's time is valuable. That's why Blaine's Farm and Fleet has made shopping for your must-haves quick and easy. Simply order online at farmandfleet.com and pick up your items in just one hour in their convenient drive-thru. Or try Farm and Fleet's same-day local delivery option. Grassland 2.0 is not a new program for the state of Wisconsin, but it's one that's evolving with special opportunities coming up in 2022. Two of the coordinators for Grassland 2.0 in Wisconsin are in studio with me. Starting off with Randy Jackson, he is the project director for Grassland 2.0, and also Brad Barham, who is a grassland economist that's working with Grassland 2.0. Randy, first, thanks for coming in. Let's talk a little bit about Grassland 2.0. For people that have never heard of this concept before, explain it for them. Sure, Pam. Thanks for having us. Uh, The Grassland 2.0 project is a USDA-funded project, and our effort is to raise awareness uh, about what's happening out on the landscape with farming uh, in general. Uh, We know that dairy farmers are hurting. We know that the dairy industry is hurting and has been for a while, and so we're really working hard to find uh, opportunities to keep more people in dairy and to keep more people in farming. So our tagline is, one of our taglines is, Uh, trying to restore people to agriculture and also trying to restore prairie to agriculture. And I can talk more about what I mean by prairie. Well, and I know I I had an opportunity to hear Randy speak at a Department of Ag Trade and Consumer Protection gathering, and you said that you really have a passion for this kind of project. You've been looking for this your entire career. Well, yeah, so I've been at it for some 20 or 30 years now, and uh, published a lot of work and that sort of thing, and it tends to pile up. Uh, We used to say on the shelves, but now on the internet. And we were noticing that, you know, it wasn't really having a lot of effect. And so the thing that we're excited about with this project, that the project is specifically about making change. We're really working hard to try and understand how we make change, how we help people come around to change and that sort of thing. So it brings in social sciences, political sciences, economy, economy, economics, ecology, et cetera. So how are we going to accomplish this? What is the ultimate end game for Grassland 2.0, aside from raising awareness, Randy? Well, our vision is an agriculture that actually restores much of the function of the original prairie. And by function, I mean soil building rather than soil eroding. And uh, by function, I mean holding on to nutrients and keeping them out of our waterways rather than leaking into our waterways and fouling our surface and groundwaters, supporting biodiversity but probably most important, profitable uh, for farmers and, and good for society and communities in general. You mentioned that there are many people that are invested in this program, not just USDA. Tell me about your team. Sure. Uh, we have a lot of academics from UW-Madison, the University of Minnesota, uh, but a lot of partners from uh, non-governmental organizations, not-for-profit organizations. Uh, some of the local ones that come to mind are the Michael Fields Ag Institute, the Savannah Institute, the Land Institute, and I could go on and on. There are a lot of organizations like that that are part of our team. And really part of our goal is to build the team, to build the partnerships, and and to bring people together. And of course, one of our big goals is to reach beyond the agricultural sector per se. We really are trying hard to connect people to where their food comes from, connect people to the land, connect people to farmers. So why should I care about this, Randy? Uh, If I'm a landowner, I've been doing things the way I've been doing things for a while. Um, I'm a little scared about the idea of grazing or pasture and what it could do to my bottom line. Why do people want to keep an eye on Grassland 2.0 and investigate it, even if they're not landowners? Well, at the farm level, from the farmer's perspective, 
we see from the literature and also from examples and anecdotes from pe talking to people that when people go to grazing as a way of feeding their livestock, whether it's for beef or dairy, that that tends to reduce their production costs. And everybody's looking for ways to reduce their production costs. Now, I'm not an economist, so I speak with big arm wavy brushstrokes about what you know the economics of it are. But in general, that's what we see. And so we see it as an effective way of keeping people on the, on the land mm -hmm. and in farming. From society's perspective, the more we move to grass-based agriculture, the better off we are in terms of our, our water quality, in terms of our atmosphere, trying to help stabilize climate, uh, and then biodiversity. Biodiversity is really plummeting. And part of that is ascribed to agriculture. And the more grass there is on the landscape, the better off pollinators will be, the better off birds will be, the better off fish will be, trout habitat, et cetera. So it really checks all the boxes, and that's one of the reasons we're so bullish about it. Well, and you made a very good point when I heard you speak, Randy. Quite frankly, if we're in a constant corn-soybean rotation, the land just gets tired. The land does get tired, uh, and uh, especially the way we disturb it. So there's a lot of interest in no-till and that sort of thing, which is a good step in the right direction, uh, especially when we leave it bare and fallow for parts of the year. There's a lot of interest in cover crops, another step in the right direction. But frankly, our models point to the fact that they're not like those things are not likely to get us where we need to be in, in the long term. And so Grassland 2.0 has a necessarily long-term vision. We're really looking at like 2050 and beyond, and, mm -hmm. and we're engaging farmers especially, but also folks out in the community in questions like, what do you want out of agriculture? What do you need out of agriculture? What would you like your children and, their grand and your grandchildren to have as we look forward to the future of agriculture? And in that regard, we're kind of trying to diffuse that notion that, hey, we're coming for your plow today, because <laughs> that's really not our approach. Our approach is to help people stay in business, but to stay in business in ways that are sustainable, not just economically, but environmentally and socially as well. That's Randy Jackson. He's the project director for Grassland 2.0. He's a grassland ecologist himself and one of the team members that's taking this message to the countryside. Uh, joining him in that quest of getting feedback on Grassland 2.0 practices and what you want from the program is Brad Barham. He is a grassland economist, and he's involved in kind of that public feedback, public interaction side of things. Tell me about what's coming up in 2022, Brad, that you're working on that people regardless of their background or their engagement in agriculture might be curious about. Sure. <clears throat> Thank you for having us, Pam. So in uh, 2022, we're going to be doing a statewide survey, really a census. We're going to be sending an, opera, an, an invitation to all dairy farmers across the state, all 6,000 of them or so, to participate in a survey that's going to ask a lot of questions about different kinds of things that matter both to them and hopefully to the rest of us. So we'll be asking them about their views on policy, their attitudes towards farming. We're going to be asking them about their recent experiences, the ways they're using their land, the ways they might be w interested in using their land and trying to get them uh, their information back out and to the public and to decision makers, to uh, policy makers and to people, th you know, like Randy, who can uh, help them guide decisions in the future. And the ex thing we're excited about is that this is the first kind of survey at this scope. By that, I mean going to everybody, as well as with this range of questions. It's been done in more than 10 years. And let me just add that I did these kinds of surveys uh, for the University of Wisconsin and for the state up until about 2010. So from about the early 90s to 2010, these kinds of surveys were 
pretty common. And they were getting the word back out and into the you know legislature and into other places for people to understand. But it's been a while, so we need to catch back up and really see where the dairy farmers of Wisconsin are and what they what they are aspiring to in ways we might help. Now, you've got a pretty sophisticated uh, way that you're going to be reaching that audience. I mean, it's not uh, random. It's very calculated. That's right. Well, I mean, one of the advantages of the Internet and the fact that more and more farmers are, you know, active on the Internet in, in their homes with hopefully better broadband access day after day uh, is that we're going to be sending them the survey invitation in the mail, but asking them to do the survey online if they're able. If they're not or they don't want to, and but they want to participate, we'll have a series of short questions, maybe four or five, that allow them to then get a, a hard copy sent to them that's appropriate to their operation. So it's like screening questions that if you're not let's say, involved in a value-added dairy initiative, then you won't get a bunch of questions on value-added dairy. If you're not involved in grazing, you'll get just a few questions about it that, uh, that maybe probe your attitudes and your experience, but don't ask you, you know, how many, ti- how many times a week you rotate your cows on pasture when you don't have your cows on pasture. How, what about outreach? I mean, and I say that in light of what we talked about before we began the interview, and that is we're hybrid, we're virtual entirely, we're face-to-face. I mean, trying to know how you're going to reach these folks uh, through just outreach and education. Explain it. Yeah, so that's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, the one of the things that we're doing in the project, and this may be a point where we bring Randy back into the conversation soon, is we have something called Learning Hubs, where we're working in communities around the state, where we've identified, you know, groups of people who are willing to kind of take the plunge with us and work on thinking about what agriculture will look like in 10, 20 years, trying to balance working on what they're doing now and what their needs are now with what the visions are for the future. So that's one form of outreach that the Grasslands 2.0 project has been quite active in. Uh, But for this particular project, for the survey, we're going to need a lot more than that. And one way we've tried to build the outreach into the project is by having different groups participate in the survey design. So we've been working with people from the Farm Bureau, from from Wisconsin Farmers Union, and from other organizations to uh, get their input on the survey design so that we would then be able to turn back around and say, hey, can you remind your, your, your members, your friends to do the survey? Excellent. Brad Barham in studio with us again, Grassland Economist. We're talking Grassland 2.0. All right, Randy, that was a good lead-in. Tell them a little bit about those hubs. We'll have a chance to talk more about that in the future. Sure. So the learning hubs are um, what we call place-based conversations. And uh, what's important is that they are conversations that have already been happening. And the the point of Grassland 2.0 or the goal of Grassland 2.0 is just to kind of try and help facilitate them uh, maybe try and uh, infuse them with more energy and some of the resources of the university, et cetera. Um, but the, the idea there is to have these place-based conversations about what's possible in those places, in those communities, and out on the landscape. And so we're working hard to engage not just the farmers, but community members of, of all kinds uh, to understand what they'd like their community to look like. And so one of our places is out in the Kickapoo region. And, of course, they're facing just... Um, devastating flooding, you know, almost year in, year out. And so there's a lot of conversation about dam reconstruction. There's a lot of conversation about how to treat water quality, et cetera. And so we're really just trying to help weave together those conversations so that if there are uh, approaches to solutions that that can be had, they're kind of integrated and thinking about water quantity and water quality as well as profitability for farmers, uh, you know, the things that I talked about earlier. So we're really just trying to weave together conversations. 
Well, like I said, we're going to chat with these gentlemen more. We're talking Grassland 2.0. That was Randy Jackson, the project director. Uh, there are several different ways you're going to be able to get involved in 2022. Those learning hubs are one good example, the survey another. Randy, how do you suggest people stay engaged in this process, aside from just waiting for the farm babe to talk to you guys? <laughs> well, I think you should just wait for the farm babe to talk <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll take the farm babe out to our learning hubs and uh, get her engaged in those conversations. Um, it, it's a good question. We have a, a, a fantastic website that has a lot of information, a lot of technical information. If you're a farmer and are wanting to explore what's possible with grazing, uh, one of the key things we're doing is building what we in academia call decision support tools, which are really just models that are web-based tools or Excel-based you know, spreadsheet tools. And Brad can talk more about uh, um, a tool that he's been working on. Uh, but these tools are meant to allow people to explore in a safe way because they don't have to actually make changes on the landscape, what's possible on the landscape. And so one of the tools that we work with is a tool that we call SmartScape. And it allows us to look at entire watersheds, entire landscapes that cuts across property lines and explore, you know, if we took this corn over here and put that into soybeans and put those soybeans into grass, what would that mean in terms of profitability for the farmers? Okay, it would mean, you know, maybe a little bit more here, maybe a little bit less there. What would it mean in terms of soil carbon and soil health? What would it mean in terms of water quality? What would it mean in terms of biodiversity? And so it allows us to look at trade-offs and all these e what we call ecosystem services and, and maybe make some group decisions about, you know, what's best for the community. Likewise, we have a tool called Grayscape that's meant to be a farm gate tool, a farm enterprise tool. And we sit down with individual farmers and do the same sort of exploration. Within your farm, what would happen if we you know, turned all this land into grass and grazed it, what would happen to your profitability? What would happen to your production levels, et cetera? And then Brad's been working on a tool that they call the heifer compass tool. Uh, I often use, just say heifer scape because we have all these scapes, smart scape, gray scape, heifer scape. But the heifer compass tool is one that's kind of uh, geared towards confined animal feeding operations to help them explore what's possible maybe with their dairy heifers. Brad, do you want to talk more about that? I'm yeah, let's talk about that because that's another area that I think there's some misconceptions that you clear up pretty quickly when you look, look at large animal agriculture being able to pivot and make decisions about how they're going to use their land and try to look past what the neighbors are going to say because your, your initial research, Brad, shows this heiferscape has got some interesting possibilities for large animal agriculture. It's not just about nutrients. Sometimes it's about time management. Well, exactly. I mean, in fact, we were developing our heifer grazing compass tool at the same time that uh, we were talking with people around the state. And one person in particular who's been doing a lot of work with these large-scale operations, Adam Abel, said, you know what you're doing? We can just go take your instrument and go to some of these large CAFOs and see what they're doing with their heifers because a number of them have found that it's more economical and obviously potentially more environmentally sound as well to raise their heifers on on pasture and and you know it's a pretty simple thing the the heifers you want them to gain weight over time and be healthy well they gain weight just fine on pasture you don't have to take them you know take the food in and out to them you don't have to move their manure they're spreading it themselves uh, the time that you're descri describing is saved uh, and uh, you can put them out on the edge of the the big operation away you know from the barn open up space in the barn itself and so there's just a lot of uh, you know 
possibilities for making economic gains. And so these guys are doing it primarily because they see it on the bottom line and they are saying they're making, saving like a third of their costs on their heifers. So we, we've designed an instrument that allows any farmer, not just a large farmer, to just take their own decision question and say, well, how could I raise you know, the heifers if I wanted to raise them on farm, on pasture, compared to what I'm doing? Maybe they're sending them out for custom rearing. Maybe they're doing them in confinement. Uh, and so we walk them through a kind of what if I did this, and we, sh- you know, we rack up the, the feed story for the heifers. We do all the costs of their machinery, the costs of their time, give them a way to, to, to look down the line and see what it would do for them. And, and basically, on, on almost every farm, it's going to be a profitable choice to make compared to raising them in, in confinement. Do you have any uh, real-time models, any farms that you're going to be using? You know, we were talking about the survey, any farms that you will be able to use as examples for people? Yeah, for sure. I mean, in fact, in December, we're going out to visit four or five farms who are in that uh, decision moment. We already have several farms who've done it where we've taken our instrument and compared it to their what their calculations were, and we use that as kind of a validating mechanism so we could see, well, if somebody did it, and they can tell us how it's turned out, and we run our what-if on their farm and we get pretty close, then we feel comfortable going elsewhere. So yeah, we've already tested it with farmers, and we're going to be going out to do it with some farmers. And, and then in January at the uh, Grassworks Conference, we're actually going to be presenting two of those cases as demos to the farmers who and others who show up at that conference. Excellent. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. This is just the beginning of our conversation. I'm always limited as far as time, but you will want to follow up on Grassland 2.0 in the state of Wisconsin, but really as a model for a lot of states around us. Collaboration within communities, across state lines, across watersheds. Now, again, Randy Jackson is the project director. Brad Barham, who you heard, Grassland economists, all working together on Grassland 2.0, a federally funded project that's got a lot of buy-in on groups and uh, communities around the state of Wisconsin. We'll be following up more. Grassland 2.0. Do you love maple syrup? Ever thought of making your own? Blaine's Farm and Fleet makes it easy with just a few key items. Stop in today for some friendly advice and all the supplies you need to tap and gather your sap. 